no matter where you are, in what relationship, you need to learn these truths. If you go into a marriage relationship with that understanding that most of us vowed, if you were married in a spiritual setting, unto death do us part, then you have learned the importance of fighting fair and finishing strong. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Today we dive into what I believe is one of the most important topics, not only in this series, but that we ever discuss in a time like this. We live in a throwaway society. The pace of change around us has exceeded our ability to endure the change. And so when we get overwhelmed or tired or conflicted in many areas in our life, we do the easiest thing, and that is just move on. And that means that we throw away some of the most valuable things to us. We throw away some of the most valuable things in our life for the next new thing. When conflict comes, we go. And yet conflict is a part of life, isn't it? I'm not saying we like it. If you like conflict, you are sick. As a pastor, nearly every day of most weeks involves conflict in individual lives or in a church setting, and almost every time that I'm engaged in walking even with another person through conflict, I I find myself with my stomach in knots. I, I find myself overwhelmed by the tension of conflict, and yet it's a reality. See, we have a choice. We can live alone in the absence of conflict, or we can live in relationships. If we live in community, we must learn to live with conflict. How are you doing in that area of your life? Nassim Nicholas Talib says, to be free of conflict, you need to have no friends. Marriage offers us conflict. Co-workers offer us conflict. Close friends offer us conflict. While sometimes the conflict, particularly the unresolved conflict, is painful and damaging, often the conflict can be good and sanctifying. For all of my life, I've observed myself and other individuals walk through times of conflict. I know what it's like in marriage, both personally and as I watch and guide other couples. And I know what it's like in church. I know what it was like growing up in a pastor's home and seeing people come against my father. Know what it's like to come home on a Wednesday evening and to have bullet holes shot through our house because people didn't like decisions that he made. Know what it's like to go to school as a young boy and to have those who I thought were my friends and peers at church talk about my family. 
I've observed conflict in church, and I've observed that as a pastor. Sometimes, perhaps, I've been the cause of that. At other times, I find myself in a mediating position. But I've watched time and time again, whether in marriage or in spiritual relationships, when conflict arises, people do what they feel like is the easiest thing and walk away. And while that's common in society, it should be appalling in the body of Christ. Because at the core of what Christ has called us to do is to be reconciled and to be reconcilers. So this we know, we can't ignore conflict, we can't run from conflict, we must learn to live in and through conflict. Now we're in a marriage series, so it makes sense that conflict has to be addressed in that relationship that involves the most time in your life, the most proximity in your life, and the most knowledge of anyone else in your life, a marriage relationship. It didn't take long into our relationship for Kimberly and I began to realize we sometimes had heated fellowship or conflict. I think as is not uncommon as I walk young couples through, we both remember even the weekend of our wedding as families are coming into town and two different worlds are colliding. As we're preparing with some human and fleshly anxiety to wed our lives, even in those most tender moments, there's conflict. And then as we've learned, you go through that stage not long after the honeymoon, when the honeymoon ceases and disillusionment begins to arise and we face conflict, how do we handle it? This reality. In marriage, all couples fight. What do they fight about? They fight about time together. They fight about money. They fight about money. They fight about money. They fight about children and child rearing. They fight about other third parties that come into the relationship, in-laws or outlaws, friends, inappropriate relationships. They fight about sexual intimacy. And then in the worst of scenarios, there's actually domestic violence. What I want you to understand today in healthy relationships and in marriage, in healthy couples, there is always fighting. But in healthy relationships and in healthy marriages, we fight fair. Healthy couples fight for resolution or reconciliation. Unhealthy couples fight to win. Healthy couples see conflict as an opportunity to build up courage in a relationship, to stir up compassion in a relationship. And to draw one another closer together. But in an unhealthy relationship, conflict is seen simply as an opportunity to win. I want to talk about how to fight fair and finish strong in a marriage relationship. But I want you to understand this. No matter where you are, in what relationship, you need to learn these truths. We're going to look at this in the context of Song of Solomon, and it's a very passionate marital context, but this applies to every relationship in your life. 
You know the name Charlie Pride. Many of you, Rosine Pride, his wife, was asked the key to staying married so long. She said the main reason is neither of us have died. If you go into a marriage relationship with that understanding that most of us vowed, if you were married in a spiritual setting, unto death do us part. If you have that understanding and you've made that covenantal agreement, then you have learned the importance of fighting fair and finishing strong. What if we looked at all of our Christian relationships that way? We recognize that we're going to spend eternity together. I've told you I'm a church nerd. I grew up in church. So all of my life I've seen people come and go and come and go and come and go from different churches. I've often wondered if we believe what we read, what do we think it's going to be like in heaven? Are we going to be run, able to run from those people that we left at the other churches? Are we going to pass by in the hallways of heaven and not talk to them like we've done in our church hallways? Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. And then we think about these important marital relationships. I want you to look in Song of Solomon chapter 5. I want you to see that after the honeymoon, like literally, after. No, I want you to hear me. Like right after the climax of the honeymoon moment, in chapter 5 and verse 2, we see conflict arise in this marriage relationship. Listen to the Word of God. This is Shulamite, the bride speaking. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound. My beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, this is Solomon, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. Now, I want you to understand what's taking place. Solomon is coming home late. Shulamite has locked the door. Here he comes with one thing on his mind. When he's trying to wake up his wife after 11 o'clock at night, he's only got one thing on his mind. And so he finds the door locked and he stands at the door and here he goes, knockity knock, knock, knock. And listen to the way he addresses her. Oh, my beloved, 
my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. Please let me in. But what has he done to add to conflict? Well, I, I would tell you that right here we can already see he did not do what she expected him to do. She showed up, he showed up late. He didn't call. He didn't text. He didn't let her know what was going on. And she is not happy. A lot of conflict comes back to unmet expectations. It's one of my favorite principles in life. Let me give it to you again. Most of life's frustrations stem from unmet expectations that arise because of poor communication. Learn it and live with it. Most of life's frustrations stem from unmet expectations that arise because of poor communication. He didn't let her know what was going on. She was expecting him to come home. They were going to spend some time together. He didn't show up. She got tired. She locked the door. Let me ask you, married couples, do you know your spouse's expectations? Bob Turnbull, in his article, What Your Wife Really Wants, lists four things that every man needs to understand his wife desires. Number one is time. Remember, often love is spelled with four letters, T-I-M-E, time. Are you giving the time into your relationship? Are you investing with time that shows you really really do love your bride. I, I love, I don't know who first said this, I've heard it for many, many years, but three ways to think about time. First of all, divert daily. Make sure you've got time daily together. Then withdraw weekly. That's your weekly date nights. And then abandon annually. So find time at least once a year where just the two of you are getting together, whether it's one night or a couple of nights or a week, Spend that time together. So time and then talk. Remember, most women are a little more into communication than most men. Make sure you're investing in that communication. And then tenderness. Being sensitive to the needs in her life. And then touch, and specifically non-sexual touch. Touch in a way just to let her know that you care, that you love her deeply. But what about you, ladies? Do you know what your husband really wants? Yvonne Turnbull responded in the article and said, what your husband really wants. He wants you to be his cheerleader. I, I really believe this is big with most men. He, he wants you to know that he wants to know that you think he's pretty awesome. He wants you to admire him, to build into him. He wants you to be his champion. He, he wants you to be the number one person behind him, encouraging him, building him up. He wants you to be his companion, his friend. He, he wants to know that you're in this with him, that you care about the things that he cares about. And then he wants you to be his complement. By his side, they're with you throughout that relationship. Well, here we are, 
the door is locked. Shulamite can respond with grace or with grit. And every time you face conflict, you've got a choice, right? I can respond with grace. Or I can just step back and get ready to fight. What do you think she does the morning after the honeymoon? <laughs> Look at, we continue. She responds with grit. Now, I want you to remember where we've been. We first met Shulamite, and she was saying things like this. She was saying in chapter 2 and verse 5, Sustain me with raisins. Refresh me with apples. I'm sick with love. His left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. She's not yet married, but she's thinking about him. She wants this aphrodisiac of the raisin cakes. Remember the raisin cakes? Let me see those, DJ. Somebody brought these to me coming in today. Just say, Pastor, I thought you might need these. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to set them right here. <laughs> then in chapter 2, verse 17, she's saying, Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. She's saying, I'm thinking about you all night long. In chapter 4, verse 16, I'm just going to read this. I, I'm not even going to, I'm not sure what it means. I'm just going to read this. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. But now in chapter 5, she's locked the door. And notice what she says in verse 3. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? In other words, I already got my pajamas on. I washed my feet. If I get up to unlock the door, my feet are going to get dirty. Not tonight, honey. I've got a headache. I don't feel good. You know what that's like in our house. We face that from time to time. I would say on a regular basis. Kimberly comes home. She doesn't understand the difficult life that I have. The burdens I carry. How hard it is being a pastor. She looks at me with that look and I have to say, oh baby, not tonight. Can you just hold me? Just talk to me. Now, what's Shulamite's problem? She had an eye problem. I want you to understand something. Selfishness is the number one relational sin. So she had gotten focused on herself and her wants. There are few things that harm any relationship more than 
self-centeredness. It's one of the idols we bring into a marriage. Idols, think about that. It starts with what letter? And we're focused on what we want. Just want you to think of some of the things that cause us conflicts because we've brought them into our marriage. We want our time. We want our children to have the focus. We want our ambitions or our achievements or our safety. Or we need to spend time with our parents or or our lifestyle or our possessions. So what we see here right after the honeymoon is that Solomon and his bride have conflict. Say conflict. Now, we're going to wrap up this series today, so we're not going to dive deep into this. But I, I love what you can discover if you just look at these last chapters of Song of Solomon. You literally see every stage of conflict, and you see where it leads to, and you get to determine your response on whether or not you're going to live in conflict in a healthy way. Listen to these six stages of conflict in Song of Solomon. First of all, both parties feel harmed. If you've ever been in any conflict, in a marriage or outside of a marriage, you understand that. Something comes up, and what do we think? Well, it's their fault. No, it's, it's their fault. No, no, it's your fault. No, it, it's not my fault. Both parties feel harmed. We see that in chapter 5. And then you're going to see there's a change of heart. That, that's what has to happen if a conflict is going to be resolved. Somebody, one of the parties, have to say, all right, let's come to the table. Some of you today, whether it's in a marriage or in any other area of your life, there's a conflict in a relationship, and you're determined, I'm going to be the stubborn one. I occasionally hear even Christ followers say, I tell you what, if somebody offends me, I'll just write them off. How can we say that and sleep at night? How how can we act that way and feel that way and open God's word or approach the throne of grace in prayer? No, for conflict to be resolved, somebody's going to have to say, okay, I want to be a part of the solution. I'm tired of being part of the problem. And so that means the third thing is someone has to reach out and make amends. Perhaps today, that's going to be your assignment after this message. Perhaps today, you're going to send a text, or you're going to make a call, or you're going to get in your car and go make a visit and say, we need to work on this. It's not okay. And when you do, that leads to the fourth stage, which is communication. Remember, most of our frustration comes from unmet expectation because there's not been good communication. So how do we alleviate the frustration? We meet the expectations by communicating. We talk about what's going on. And when you communicate together, somebody is probably going to have to end up saying these powerful words. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. See, forgiveness is that fifth step in this resolution of conflict. And in the Song of Solomon, you see all of these steps, and it leads to 
if you look at the last chapter, it leads to what is a greater closeness and great joy. When you do the hard work of reconciling a relationship, and that reconciliation takes place. In other words, the other individual was responsive. Because I recognize the other individual may not always be responsive. But when you've done the hard work and the other individual was responsive, guess what? That relationship is now better than it was. It's stronger than it was. It's secure. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.